This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Mr. Arnaud Nicholas. He is the CEO of Le Epe. Arnaud, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So Le Epe, for those that don't know, is probably the most famous operating clockmaker. Or am I wrong? Are there, are there other equally famous uh, clockmakers? Because while there are others, I think somehow you've become the most famous clockmaker. What do you think? I think we, we are one of the most famous right now. Uh, at least who we are is we are dedicated to clocks. There is other clockmakers but that are watchmakers that are doing clocks. On our side, we are focusing on, on clocks. We are not doing any watches at all, wristwatches, only uh, table watches and uh, wall watches. Uh, on the sp- we have a specific twist of humor embedded inside our clocks, which might be why it has become famous. Yes, you've definitely done a lot of playful things, and we'll get to that. But I think, you know, it's difficult to start a conversation like this without talking about the the clock industry, because we speak so much about the watch industry. I think it can be easy for some people to forget that the clock industry is essentially what the watch industry evolved out of. And the watch industry, you know, starting probably in the early 20th century, had a very quick, rapid evolution uh, away. But for several hundred years, sort of, it was just clocks, and that's where most of the development came. Um, you know, would would you define it differently? Would you say that uh, there's a different evolution there? No, no, you're perfectly right. Uh, at the beginning, it was only clocks, and um, and the uh, the watchmaking, the wristwatch making evolved. On the clock making. And what is nice is that the industry of, of clock making is huge compared to watchmaking because a lot more uh, has been done, um, you know, for centuries, whereas watches, wristwatches are almost new compared to, to the clock making. Um, and at Lepe, we are doing clocks for 181 years, 184 years, sorry. The watch industry has an element of, of innovation where there's sort of new technology and new things like that. I wouldn't say there's new complications, but there are new things happening in performance and materials and stuff like that. Do we see the same type of thing in clocks or is it still very much you know, making clocks today the traditional way and it's, it's very much more a traditional thing than compared to most wristwatches? You're perfectly right. Uh, on the fact that watches are using a lot of new materials, a lot of new way of, of manufacturing, and are very creative. And the clock making, there were not that many. And that's why we have decided to launch a new line in, um, in, for our 175th anniversary, as in 2014. And we decide to go where no one has gone before. You know, I, since I'm a kid, I hate to, uh, uh, to follow the line. I like to follow the other. And we have decided to launch something completely new because there were nothing outside. Uh, all the clocks that we were seeing were only traditional clock, uh, manufactured in a traditional way. And what we have tried to do at Lepe is to 
uh, launch a new line with new materials and a new philosophy of a clock. Um, uh, the clock being not a traditional clock with the main purpose is to give the time. What we have tried to do is to uh, manufacture a clock that with a primary function is a piece of heart. And the secondary function is to give the time. So you said this was in 2014, right? So what, what is it that right. you did? What was so revolutionary? Oh, um, the first thing that we have done is to start from, to think differently. You know, um, it's, it's, it's a way of thinking of a clock that changed. Basically, and when people are manufacturing an object, a technical piece like a watch or like a clock or like a car, what people are doing, first, they build up an engine. You know, they put all the engineers together and work on an engine. When the engine works, then they call the designer and build cars around it. And when this is done, they call the manufacturing to build up a story to be able to sell it. What we do at Lepe, ever since we have started uh, this new line, is to start with the story. We think of something and then we build up the engine at the same time as the housing. We don't build up the engine and then put a housing around it. We put, we build up the engine and the movement at the same time with part of the movement that become part of the housing and part of the housing that become part of the movement, which is much more complicated, but all of us much more creativity. When I, when I hear you telling me this story, now I understand it, of course, but it sounds a lot like what MBNF does, a company that you work with very closely, actually. Is this something that you identified independently of them? Or was there some type of interaction with the success of their model where they designed a watch case and then later a movement to go in it versus sort of the other way around? Um, just I'm just curious if there was, was a coincidence or this was as part of your now very long collaboration uh, with uh, Max Booster and MBNF. In fact, it's different. What you have said to design a case and then design a movement to go inside. They have stayed is we design a movement and the housing all together inside. So our philosophy is slightly different from what they are doing. Even if you're perfectly right, NBNS and whoever are the companies that uh, do very advanced object in watch, in watchmaking. But at Lepe, what we are doing is that we mixed form and function, meaning the, we don't design a movement to go inside a case. We design the movement so that it's a clock itself. For example, if I take the time fast hawker, you take out the housing, the movement itself is in the shape of a car. You take our latest product, the regatta, take out the housing, you have nothing. The clock doesn't even stand by itself. Same for like Honda, the record that we have launched in January, have become very famous. And she has no housing. It's just a movement in the shape of a grenade. I'm, so I'm, I'm looking right it's, now. It's I know really exactly what you're talking about. In between. Yeah. yeah. I, now, this is, this is of course, uh, again, not, not to keep saying that these are ideas that, that Max Booser invented, but I think for many people in industry, he helped popularize some of them. And this is the idea of the kinetic art. For him, it was the wristwatch's wearable art. For you, it is the, the clock 
as, I guess, displayed art. Um, to me, a lot of it is this merger of, and again, I think why we like watches, model making. You know, I, a lot of people, especially uh, engineering-minded men, love model making. Uh, clocks, of course, are these visible models. And you're taking these worlds of model making and miniatures and merging it with the functionality of timekeeping. Um, that's why I like it. I'm just wondering if that's, that's similar to the philosophy in your mind. The philosophy that we have in our mind when we design something is to get inspiration from uh, something that is surrounding us. It can be an object my kids are playing with, uh, an object from something that I have seen on the on the video, you know, on a movie. Uh, it can be something when I went to an exposition. It can be something from my childhood. It can be from different different objects. Uh, it just you know, inspiration, you can get inspiration from wherever you are, uh, with whoever you are. It's just an open-minded setup. There's, I mean, you, someone has to go to the website here because I think that if you have any appreciation for in watchmaking, when the movement is designed to be beautiful rather than just, you know, an industrial mechanism, you're really going to like what Lepe has done lately um, you know, with a lot of the clocks, everything from the airplanes to the guns to the many different types of science fiction things you've done with MBNF and otherwise. Um, and you also seem to be quite fascinated by displaying time on these moving drums or canisters and things like that. Is, there, is it just convenient or does that specifically fascinate you for some reason? In fact, it's really depending on, on, the, on what we want to express and how we want to, how it fit in fact, in, in fact inside the design. What we always try is to have something that fits the idea we had at the beginning. And how we display the time is also part of this, uh, of this, uh, mind setting at the beginning, of the story that we want to express. On the car, for example, time display is where, uh, on the first one, on the time first one, time display is like the numerus on the side of the car. So to get numerus, you have to have disk with number on it. On time fast two, it was placed as the air filter on top of the carburetor because 1960s they had those huge air filter carburetor. <laughs> on the yeah, regatta, right. our latest uh, product, uh, it's uh, looking like the two, um, the two, in fact, it's the two hands and uh, the two hands are like the uh, symbolizing the rowing system. Of, of the boat. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really fun to see that integration. And actually, now that you're seeing, saying it's like the numbers on the side of the car, that makes it even cuter. I'm I'm realizing here that, you know, there's a lot of different materials that go into this, certain materials that may not even go into watchmaking. And obviously, there's much more material necessary. How much of these things do you make in-house versus do you have to uh, have get from suppliers? I imagine you don't make tires, but um, I, I imagine also you probably have the capacity to make a lot of it. What percentage of most of your products is made in-house and what do you want to say about that? Usually, we manufacture over 95% of, of the product. Uh, we are speaking about the car. On time, fast, uh, on time fast one, we only have one, two, three, four pieces that are not made in our factory. The jewels are not made in our factory. And the helmet, you know, it's a glass dome. This, so it's a blown glass dome that is milled and polished 
and that's done by an artist. We have the tires, as you say, and inside the tire, you have a foam because I'm very picky on details. So uh, tires, you know, on, on a toy, when you have a, when you have a, a toy manufacturer, usually when you see it, you know, seated, uh, tires remain home. Whereas on the real car, tires flatten at the contact point with the ground. Right. And what I wanted is to have an object that was looking like a real car. So we went to historical racing track. We measured the formation of those kind of car, you know, <laughs> of, of the tire deformation. And we implemented a form inside the tire to have the exact same deformation as those real car. But we are very picky on detail. But that's, to go back to your question, it's the only four component out of the 200 components that uh, compose the car that are not manufactured in our, um, in our facilities. And that was not really an intent at the beginning. Uh, we had to do it because we had huge problem to find out uh, people on the market that were able to manufacture components, big components, with a very high quality standard. Uh, finishing component is very, very complicated. You know, milling it to a point that you can finish it, that you can decorate it without um, without changing the dimensions is quite quite difficult. And uh, we had no choice that, than doing it internally. You know, and we have, in fact, for the last journalist that came to our house, we have 21 factory inside one factory. We that's, have that's, two different, that's a lot. <laughs> 21 different know-how inside our factory from milling to even uh, topography. I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that over the years when I would meet with a brand and they do a clock and obviously they oftentimes wouldn't do it themselves, you were, you were the people they would go to. And it's true. There's just so few people that will do this. What is it about your company or maybe you that has pushed forward so much in, in making this a reality? Obviously, you had the desire to say, well, we can't find a supplier. Let's do it ourselves. Or I must have a certain type of quality. What is it about what you're trying to do with the company or just you personally that makes it so that nothing else but what you absolutely want will uh, will suffice? Say. We had first at the beginning, nobody believed in those clocks. You know, when I took over the company, that was 14 years ago, people told me, you're crazy. Clocks are dead. Uh, nobody is buying it. Uh, nobody wants. Told those guys, we're going to make new clocks. And this is my idea. And to me, you're crazy. It will never work. Um, by the way, for the same guys that nowadays tell me, ah, you know, uh, luckily I told you it will work. That's pretty fun <laughs> how people are reacting. <laughs> but the idea behind our company is uh, to be able to do, to surprise people, uh, even how most aficionados. We are trying to surprise them. We are trying to embed inside all of our products a twist of humor with very high qualitative product. And to do so, we had to develop first the engineering. Because you don't engineer a clock as you engineer a watch. It's slightly different. And um, I'm handling personally the creative part. Uh, and we have inside uh, a huge, for a company of our side, of our, of our size, we have a huge um, engineering team. 
specialized in making clocks and making mechanical piece of art. And we have embedded all, you know, throughout the year, we have embedded all the know-how on the different métiers that are necessary to manufacture a clock. And how I, our idea is to continue that way. It, people, we are lucky enough that uh, some people like enough our object that they're buying it. And as we are completely independent, it's because we have those guys supporting us that we are still alive. And that's why we can continue our creativity. You know, it's, we are independent. So we need to be sure that almost every, um, every object will be a success to be able to manufacture the next one. But so far, uh, we got lucky. No, it's, you, you have. And I'm just trying to think in general because, you know, it's not the same thing as if you like wristwatches, you like pocket watches. And it's definitely not the same thing if you like wristwatches, you like clocks. It's not that you have anything against clocks, but you could know everything there is to know about the wristwatch and know almost nothing about the history of clocks. I, I know a little bit because a lot of the great, you know, uh, classic watchmakers were clockmakers. Um but I think it's it's interesting to see how the modern clock industry has gone a very different route. You know, wristwatches got sort of lucky, and now you're able to integrate into the world of art. Um, there's an expressive, fun, playful element. No doubt that's why Lepe has success. But are what what is it about the traditional clock industry that has made it kind of sputter out? Is it too expensive? Is it too weird? Is it too esoteric? Why has it not captured the imagination like the wristwatch? I think the main problem of, of, of those um, of those clocks uh, was that it was somehow boring. Uh, sorry to say that, but um, when you look at the offering that was uh, out of the market when I took over in two thousand nine, it was really boring, you know. And you didn't need a clock. You know, nobody needs a clock nowadays. You have time everywhere, you know, on your desk, with your computer, with your phone. You have time on your house, everywhere in your house. So you don't need a piece to stand in your office or to stand in a, at home to give you the time. What you need or what people want is a piece of heart. And the same as, as a wristwatch. You know, the wristwatch in the past was a useful tool. Nowadays, it's a jewel. It's a piece of heart that you have on your wrist. And that's the same for what we have done with, uh, with clocks. We have tried to have a piece of art that speaks to the people and the message to people that look at it and who you are and what you like. And it's not anymore a useful tool. And many, many companies did not realize that in the past. That's why they were nothing. Nowadays, we have opened that way and many people are going inside it. I, I think. You know, listening to you, what I'm realizing is that, you know, the wristwatch advanced to the point where it was very friendly for a very unsophisticated consumer. Like, you didn't need to know very much to wear a watch for it to stay, you know, in, in, in good order. Like, pretty much the basics. But clocks never seemed, at least historically, to evolve to the point of being very user-friendly. You could still overwind some of them, and it was kind of finicky to set, and it wasn't exactly clear how to operate it. Do you think there's any merit to the point that clocks were just sort of not worth the hassle? Like if they were just as easy as an automatic wristwatch, people would have more fun with them, but they're just such a pain in comparison to just, you know, a quartz 
wall clock that just, you know, works for two years unless until you need to put a new battery in it. You, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's something to be said about that. You're right. But the main, the main point is that, as you saw, as we have said, nothing has been done in a, for about 30 years in, 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 uh, in clock making, you know. Uh, everybody, only everybody 30? just only 30 years. So, uh, 30 years more. ago, there was like, <laughs> but I'm I consider like, wow. that 10 last year, something has been done. But, you know, uh, since the 70s, almost nothing has been done in, in the clock. And that's why there were no evolution. It remained at its days. Company disappeared, but none of them tried to really reinvent it. Uh, and I understand why, you know, going through what I went through. Uh, I can understand why people didn't want to go through that. Um, even if I, I love, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guys that love challenges. I'm going through, let's say that fact that it was a change was something that, uh, I like it even more. But yeah, you're right. Uh, what, what we are doing at Lepe is when we design an object is that we have to make it easy to handle, easy to somehow playful. To give you an example, we are speaking about uh, the fact that you have to rewind and, and set the time uh, on the time fast. The rewinding is done by moving the car. When you move the car, you rewind the car. Oh, like when you it's roll like the, wheels the wheels on a table? Yeah, when you turn the wheels on the oh, table. Oh, that's great. That's great. So that's how you rewind it. So it's easy. And how you set the time? You know, usually you have a crown on a watch. And on, on the car, what we have done, you have a steering wheel. The steering wheel usually drives the car. If we here at time fast, we have used the steering wheel as a crown to drive the time, to set the time. So it's it's playful, it's fun, and easy to use. But not that many people are doing it. You're perfectly right. And for me, that's a little bit of shame uh, that nobody has tried to do that before. And still, we are very few to do it. Also, because it's much more expensive, you know, because you design movement. It's when you design the movement that you have to implement that. And you design a movement for every single object that you're manufacturing. Because if you want to have, you know, time setting and rewinding, always different. Uh, with the gear chain, always different. Then you design a new movement every time. So in terms of performance, how do you ensure that all of these different movements that have these different orientations and possibly require slightly different amounts of power? And how do you maintain a requisite level of, of accuracy? Or is that just secondary? Because again, these are, these are art. No, no, it's very important. Uh, so we take great care of, of time setting and the performances of our object, time-wise, not only time-wise. Uh, but we ensure it by a huge amount of tests that we are doing on every single uh, object. This by between the idea and the release of the object, minimum is two years. Sometimes it's even three years. You know, but from the idea when I have the design made up to the time that is on the market, you know, it's uh, it's been two years on engineering and testing. To be sure that everything is smooth and accurate. Now, let's talk a little bit about value proposition because I think that if you compare apples and oranges, as they say, and you compare 
a clock price to a wristwatch price, in some instances, the clock seems like a better value. Is it less expensive to do a clock? Are wristwatches priced too high? Help people understand the different value proposition in buying a luxury clock versus a luxury wristwatch. It's too different for what we are doing. On, on, on First, manufacturing a clock is much more expensive than manufacturing a wristwatch. Why is that? More uh, materials? Because you have more material. It can be funny, but more materials, meaning more surfaces. And the finishing, which makes a value of the object, you know, it's, it, it's the precision and the finishing that makes a value of the object. And the finishing, the probability of having a defect on the finishing is an exponential of the surface. Meaning if you have a wheel, you know, a flat surface of the wheel, you look at it. Oh, there is no defect on it. You use the same process and you multiply by two the size of the wheel. You multiply the probability of having a defect by eight. But if you multiply it by 10, the size of the wheel, then the probability of having a defect is multiplying by 15,000, which means okay. it's almost impossible to have the same way of manufacturing and to industrialize as on, on clock making as it is done in watchmaking. So that's the huge difference. And also why you have so little uh, companies that are doing clocks right now. It's because it's much more complicated. Now, in terms of the market, where are most clocks sold? I know that you, again, have a special connection to the wristwatch industry, and you can sell through some of the same stores and things like that. And I think that that does a lot of good things for you. But like, where would people buy a clock? Watch stores don't have them. I think, is that maybe part of the problem? It seems among like the most niche things of like, oh, I want a clock made. I got to go out and find a clock maker. Like it, it just seems very out of the mainstream. So at Lippe, what we are doing is we are doing small production because we want to be exclusive. So you won't be able to find our object at every corner of any street. Usually we have one retailer, one retailer in one area. The area can be a city, can be a country. Uh, and because we don't want competition in between our retailers first, and also because we don't want people to be able to buy a product and have their neighbor to buy the same one. Because that's not exclusivity anymore. So we have limited quantity. We manufacture limited quantities. We only manufacture limited edition. And we have about 100 point of sales over the world. Um, so we limit it on this way. And then we have two different ways of, of selling our product, different uh, paths. First one is with um, logical shops, wastewater shops. Right. And the second is galleries of art that also uh, sell our product. But we always try to avoid competition and to avoid... Um, right now, we, we are lucky enough so that we have plenty of shops asking us to open a new account. And we... Most of our most of most of the time, our answer is no. Sorry, we already have one partner in the in the country, and we don't want to have new ones. Even if you have different collectors, you have different um, customer. Our intent is to remain exclusive. 
And you can have an exclusive luxury product that is displayed on every windows of every single shop. At least that's not my philosophy of making exclusive products. Well, unless it's Rolex in Hong Kong, then it has to be displayed at every corner. <laughs> that's a philosophy. It's not uh, the philosophy of, of Levy. I know, I know. I Well, I mean, look, if you, your average price point in this scheme of wristwatches is quite affordable for a product that you're saying is, you know, uh, not only exclusive, but also very difficult to put together. And I don't feel like you're, you know, you're overcharging. I feel like the watch industry is actually sometimes has crazy high margins. And I think that that is difficult to stomach because I think the real enthusiast, the person that loves the mechanics and loves this type of stuff should recognize that if you're interested in not just horology, but traditional beauty, uh, some of these clocks, just watching them operate, especially if they have some of these pendulums and stuff like that. You know, I'm talking, of course, about some of your classic collection, a little bit different than the new ones, but you can get so much enjoyment out of these things. And it is, I just, I don't know, does sometimes it surprise you how much wristwatches uh, are, how much they cost? Classically, right. Many, very, very often people are telling me, oh, it's not expensive at all. Because my intent is not to be the richest man in the world, you know. I like what I'm doing. In fact, I'm one of the lucky ones that never work. Um, I'm playing all day long. You know? I'm designing a product, uh, doing what I'm doing all day long is just a joy. I never go to work. I go, I know I'm in my office plenty of time in the weekend, at night. Um, I like what I'm doing. It's, it's a patient. Uh, up front. And I never wanted to have huge coefficient uh, because for me, the product is what is the most important. Some people think that what is really important is a communication. And communication costs a lot of money. The budget of communication inside each one of our objects is very, very small. That's why you cannot see us on every single journal you know, investing in the magazine, uh, on, uh, we don't have those big guys, uh, speaking about us because we don't pay all of those guys. And what is happening is that people don't pay that part of, of, um, of the cost in when they buy our object, which make it much more affordable. Okay. But you say that from the benefit of having very little competition in the field. And let's be honest, some of the other like niche uh, clock makers, they charge a lot more for something that may not be as, uh, uh, you know, that much better than your product. Some of them are a little bit more complicated or bigger and things like that. LePay actually seems like a good value, but you enjoy a very uncrowded market and you're able to sell as much as you're making. Like you admit, it's a very fortunate position to be in in terms of an uncrowded market space. Yes, you're right. Right, we are, we are lucky enough for that, and it's benefit. It's beneficial for everyone, you know, for our customer and for us. With wristwatches, you can't always say the same thing. You know, a lot of your clients exist in extremely competitive circles where it's a lot about image and status, and you have to be worn by the right people. And stuff like that, you know. Do you ever think to yourself, like, I, I, what you would do if all of a sudden uh, there became more competition? You had to start, you know, hiring celebrity ambassadors. It's kind of funny to think about, right? 
Yeah, it's 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 a very challenging uh, point, and we'll see when when it will happen. But uh, I hope I hope that I will never have to uh, to increase the price of of my object in, in a way that doesn't come affordable anymore. Uh, I think that uh, right now there is a very fair value uh, on the object when you buy something. The impression of the people is oh, that's uh, I will have thought it's much more expensive, and that's that's a great position. And I hope that we can keep that as long as it's doable. Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of A Blog to Watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. I, I want your opinion on the Jaeger-LeCoultre Atmos. This is a different type of system that only they make. I bring it up because it's technically a competitor in the space. It's a modern uh, clock, traditionally made. Theirs uses a very special system to power itself that I don't need to tell you about, but not everyone listening, of course, knows. Do you think it's interesting that Shazira continues to make this? Do you think they should push it more? It's obviously a very niche product. And does it make you think that there might be other, you know, more novel ways of powering a clock? Because there seems to be things you could do with a clock that maybe you can't do with a wristwatch. I'm just wondering what you think about the the Atmos and in general, sort of the world of, of different ways of approaching powering a, a, a clock. What they're doing is, is, is nice, but it's on a different it's a different philosophy than house. Uh, they're making a clock with a nice housing, an engine that is inside. And what we try to do is a mechanical clock. Theirs is somehow mechanical, but you, you know, you don't have that mainspring. You have uh, another way of, of, of powering the, uh, the clock. And that uh, I don't want to go too much in detail in it. But the idea of our object is to emphasize the mechanics. Whereas their object is more to emphasize the housing. Okay. Okay. I understand. So for you, it's, it's, it's really going in the direction of let's celebrate this for being this gear driven object. Let's emphasize that as much as possible. Is that because a lot of people are, are drawn to this? They like seeing it and you feel that that's what sells? Or is that what you understand? You're a, you're a gears and rods and hands. And you know, mechanical guy, and that's just what you like to do. It's somehow nowadays um, reassuring because it's it's something that you can understand. Whereas when you look at electronics nowadays, everything is electronics, and you ha we have electronics everywhere. You never understand what it is. First, you cannot see it because usually it's a right. black box, and you just have something coming out and something coming in, but you don't know what it is. Whereas on mechanics, pure mechanics, you can really understand how the energy goes and how it is. It goes from one side to the other and to the indication. 
So it's something that can be understood by almost everyone, whereas electronics cannot. So for that, it's reassuring, and it's also something that calm down the people because they can see it, they have this understanding, and there's a magic of, of the light playing with the wheels turning. I'm just trying to think about all the interesting ways of further making these relevant. What you've done with the sort of creative world objects that you have, the car and, and the various other types of, uh, of interesting types of clocks you've made, that's cool for sure. But I wonder if there's ways of making it relevant because the wristwatch has a special status that even if you don't need it for telling the time, it still plays a very relevant role in fashion, right? It can still make you look good. And I'm wondering, like, what what the what the clock loving <laughs> lifestyle is like? Do you have to have one in your office? Is it your bedroom? Maybe it's too loud for your bedroom. Like, I, I wonder, like, what the lifestyle of enjoying clocks looks like, so that it can be communicated more. Do you know what I mean? I see, I see what you mean. In fact, wristwatch. Everyone um, has status. Want to have a word to show the status on the clock. We have some people buying it for their office to show a status and to express a way of life, uh, how they like precious object and piece of art with how they love of art within their, their office with the excuse of owning it because as it gives time, you have an excuse to own it, you know, and to have it inside your office. But most of the time, people buy our product for home or sometimes also for office. Uh, but in order to, to put the twist of their personal behavior of the personal uh, print inside the room where the block will fit, you know, it's, uh, it's more intimate than a watch. A watch is to show to other. You buy those clocks for yourself. I see. That makes, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm also thinking about other parallels to the watch world. And I feel that a lot of the clocks represent dressed watches, right? Like they're sort of like old style and a little bit more formal. And then you have the art stuff, which isn't exactly sporty. It's more artistic. And I wonder if maybe that's a missing thing. Like, I don't want to call it the, the sport clock, but something that is more evocative of the sport watches that are the most popular for people's wrists, because I think it's, you know, I don't need to convince anyone that dress watches aren't as popular as, um, as sport watches, but with clocks that communicate your personality for a room, I'm wondering if they could be sportier. Um, what do you think about that? Oh, you have um, on watch, you have sport watch, you have dress watch. On clocks, we have somehow the same, but slightly different. We have object that spoke about sport. We have object that spoke about science fiction. We have object that expressive and some that are Intuitive. Let me explain. When we have a car, you know, when we have a clock that takes the shape of a car, then it's obvious for everyone that you have a car clock on your desk. But sometimes we have other objects where people are, they need to think and they interpret the object and they, it's, they express what they have in mind. For example, La Regatta that we have just designed. Um, the inspiration comes from the, uh, the rowing, the sculling. Um, board. But many people are thinking that it's a narrow, that it's some other things that it's not a compass. Some other 
feel like it's a, it's a sale. So we have those two different kinds of, of, uh, of group of, of clock, uh, the intuitive clock and the demonstrative clock. Whereas on, on wristwatch, you have the sport watch and the dress watch. I, I think I think it's time for some sport clocks. Like you know, uh, like what would what would the carryable version of a of a carriage clock be if it was for sport? If it was water resistant, you could drop it. I, I get I, I you make whatever you want. I'm just saying for me, it's just interesting to fantasize a little bit about it because I I love these things. But I think we both agreed in this conversation that there's a certain level of modernization that could take various forms, of course. But I, I actually think that if you had sport clocks that had more stories behind that were designed for those purposes, again, an even, an even bigger market, a, a bunch of other stuff. I, I, it's, anyone could disagree, but I think that there would be a market for that. It's just interesting how many directions this could go in, right? Yes, and uh, let me think that you want, you will be surprised sooner or later. So I'm looking at one of your clocks on the website. This is one of the more old style ones um, that is sort of a carriage clock. And I just, I, I want to use this to sort of demonstrate a little bit of the value as well as some of the things these clocks do and also ask you a little bit about the chiming features. Here's a clock that has time, moon phase, a calendar system, as well as a striking um, mechanism. It's got a lot of display, you know, beautiful uh, case. And it's, you know, just under 16,000 uh, Swiss francs. I mean, you can't even buy like our most wristwatches uh, that do that type of thing. Um, and, and obviously there's, there's, you know, a lot more stuff here. Uh, you know, do you enjoy doing the, the traditional complicated clocks, uh, if you want to call them that? Yes, it's part of our heritage. You know, Lepe has manufactured clocks for 184 years. And those, those carriage clocks have been manufactured for 184 years. And we, it's part of our history. And for me, as long as people will want to buy those clocks, we'll continue to manufacture them. And what we can see right now is that it's much more complicated one, the one that has complications on it, than the plain two uh, hands clocks that are asked by the customer. So the one that you have said, as you said, have uh, time, alarm, strike, repeat and demand, um, moon phase, day, date, and even alarm to wake up in the morning. And if you have trouble to wake up, I can tell you those are all kind of clocks with a very powerful sound. Um, but uh, it's something that we have manufactured for years and that we have engineered, you know, a, a huge number of years ago. So there is no meaning of putting it at a very high price. You know, so it's, a, um, it's a price of manufacturing it plus a little bit of margin to, um, continue the, uh, to, you know, to, uh, continue the, uh, uh, to keep the tool of manufacturing uh, alive and running. Uh, and that's about it. It's not uh, my intent is not to be so rich as guy, as I said. Uh, and uh, I don't see why I should uh, increase the price of the subject. It's, it's a good philosophy. I want to ask you about the hour strikers. You know, this year, uh, 
in in the UK, Christopher Ward came out with the um, uh, their their hour striker watch, uh, a, a really great watch uh, that was like I think thirty five hundred dollars or something like that. Not a new concept. People just really love this, and I love hour strikers. I think they're a little bit more interesting than minute repeaters. They're less complicated, but I think more useful uh, because they're kind of fun. And the sound from a clock is beautiful. Tell me about the striking clocks you make and, and how do people enjoy those? Is the sound is not, I haven't heard any of them of yours myself, but is it, is it a nice sound? I'm just, I'm curious about that product. In fact, we use the same uh, philosophy as, as watch and same philosophy as it had been done for hundreds of years in, in clock making. It's to have a pure sound, a long and pure sound. Uh, that's how you recognize a nice uh, striking mechanism, a uh, chiming mechanism is by the, pureness of the song and the longness of the song. Um, and it's also how, in fact, it's, it's complicated and simple. It's the material that gives the song and the shape of the, of the, uh, of the gong, uh, uh, of the belt and the hammer. It's a combination of three objects that makes the sound of the object and also the propagation. But the propagation will change or not the sound. It will not make it. It will change it. And, uh, for example, if you put a clock on the shelf that is made of, of a glass, will change completely the sound of the same clock placed in a wood table. Right, right. Um, but what I like is how we design it, how we change it to make a sound that is right according to the, to the story of the object. And that's what is interesting, you know, to, to embed the mechanism in a way that it's nice, that it's aesthetic, and to have the right tongue, you know, the right, um, uh, the right song on, on, um, on the object. I, I think, thank you for the explanation about what it requires to make a good sound. It's, it's definitely not easy and it requires, you know, as you said, consideration of multiple things to get a good sound. I think that there's legs to this concept and I think that you know, again, if you were going to take some of these mechanisms and put them in some of your more modern clocks, um, it might get a new generation of people open mind to this because very few people grew up with clocks in their homes that chimed. Um, and, and it's a very pleasant sound. It's quite nice that there's this box in your room chiming sometimes every 15 minutes. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a very nice emotional thing. And Again, why, why get it in some expensive wristwatch, which isn't going to sound as nice as something larger that can get a, a deeper, longer, richer sound? And I just think so many people, especially in an office, would love having a clock that would chime. I, I mean, do people, once they realize it, they say like, oh my God, Lab, hey, this is great. Thank you. I had no idea this would be fun. We have many times this uh, this feedback. I didn't know that we will... Um be that nice, that the song will be that nice, and that will put my room alive. You know, in the past, uh, our grandfather and, uh, and, and many people are saying that uh, when they hear the strike, is that it, it reminds them their grandfather or sometimes their father's um, house. Uh, why is that? Because, and uh, come back to what we had said at the beginning, nothing has happened in the last 40 years. And slowly and slowly, everything has disappeared up to about 15, uh, uh, 10 years ago, 14 years ago. 
when we relaunched um, uh, the creation of, of modern uh, of modern clock. Uh, um, we didn't start with with the strike. We start with uh, two hands, and then we uh, we embedded complications. Um, but more and more, we are placing animation inside our object with a sound or without a sound. But the sound is something that people like a lot because it plays some life inside the house. You know, in the past, like as I said, uh, uh, at the compartments, it everyone had a clock. And uh, the clock was a center part of the home. And it was what makes the home alive. You know, you were entering and you were he hearing the sound of the clock. And many people are telling us that it's the same nowadays. When they have those clocks, it makes a life, it makes the house alive. Even some told us that uh, they, don't, they do not um, turn off the TV when they arrive. You know, many people are uh, entering home and turn, off, turn on uh, TV or music just to have some noise and to have the house right. alive. Don't feel that they are alone at home with a clock. Many people are telling us that they don't do it anymore. No, it's, it's, it is a great sound. And I had a family member who had a chiming clock and I just remember liking it so much. I don't have anything like that right now. And, you know, you can't really get out of speaker, you know, it's sort of a, there's a depth to the resonance of the actual, <laughs> the actual analog sound in your house happening. But I, I'm just excited for the people out there. I mean, these are, as you said, exclusive. Like it's hard to find your products. You you uh, you obviously do a good job um, in keeping in keeping the numbers low because I don't think people sell these things. I think once you have, you know, one of these clocks, basically people probably keep them until they pass them on to someone else. And I'm wondering what service is like. Do people ship these back to you or? Are there actual people around the world that can service clocks? It seems like it might be even more uncommon than a watchmaker. Um, somehow, yes. And no, it's really depending on where you're living. We are, nowadays, we are training people on different countries to be able to service our product. Uh, but uh, you're right. If you have no services center close to your uh, homes and you can ship it to us, and we uh, we service it, and we will ship it back to your home directly. Um, or you can go to one of our retailers and leave it there, and we'll handle it either by shipping it to us or by doing it with our authorized uh, partners that can service it. How do you ship these things? I'm mean, just practically speaking. I mean, is it a special box? Is it a special carrier? I mean, this is about as fragile as you can get, right? Our products are manufactured in a way that they are very uh, reliable, and you can they come with a box to uh, to um, to put it in. And you okay. Place this box inside uh, one uh, standard cartoon, and it can be with uh, with uh, we call it pump ships inside, and then you can ship it. And when we receive it, that that's great. As long as it's it's uh, term, uh, you know, when you ship it back, you use the same box as the one that we ship it to you, and there's no problem. Oh, that's a, a, the retailers we hand you over the clock within a black form box. And this is one that will keep your clock safe during transportation. It has been designed for that. So you, you told me two interesting things in this conversation. You love to share the emotion that comes from seeing these clocks and using these clocks and living with these clocks, but you don't believe that you need to do marketing because you don't need it right now. So the question is, how do you 
transmit these emotions? How do you tell more people out there what it's like to be in a room with one of your clocks or to see one of your you know, novel creations, the car, the science fiction things, the planes, the weapons, all the crazy cool stuff. Um, how, how do you do that in today's world? Because it's like, I think we both established that once you are around these objects, you understand the emotion. But in the internet age, boy, is that is that tough to, to get across. So what's the answer? You're perfectly right. And uh, my choice was not to increase the price in a way that I can do huge marketing and touch everyone. First, because I will not be able to offer what the world will request on, on, on the quantity of pieces if we do that. And second, because I don't trust that it's uh, fair for the hand customer to pay a large amount of the value of the object for marketing. Now, what we, the way we are Processing is usually, uh, we are doing small event with our, with our partner, local partner in the different countries. And we invite guests to, uh, look at our product. And that's how we, we are transmitting the, the emotion also on, on the shops that are carrying our product. Yeah. So, um, the staff is trained to be able to express what we have done and to, Explain the club to, uh, to the, uh, to the final customer. But you're right. We can sell 10,000 times more product by having massive, uh, massive communication. But first, I will not be able to manufacture them. And second, then the price of the clock will increase a lot just by adding the communication uh, cost out of it. So that's, uh, that's part of our philosophy to remain um confident and and I think our clock is not for the common man to hold. It's for some people that want a way out. I, I mean look, I think that one of the things that attracts a lot of people to the luxury industry beyond the value, beyond the price, is the fact that you have something that is a rarefied pleasure that not everyone knows about it, that not everyone can have it. A, a secret which is yours and the fact that when you go to your home and it sounds a certain way and not everyone everyone and not everyone's home sounds that way that 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 is a form of luxury and that that is a nice thing to try to protect if if you can right in fact that's what we do but on top of that as we are building up our product with um starting with a story our piece our clocks are also a talking piece what I mean is, uh, if, if uh, someone comes to your home for the first time, most pretty often, one of the things that they, 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 they remind is the clock and the story that is behind. Because when you have this subject and you can speak about the small detail on how everything is linked together, there's a huge story and you can speak about it for hours. Well, I, I, I agree. There's plenty of hided, uh, not hided, but, uh, some, a lot of functions, a lot of details, uh, that compose our clock, you know, the material, what we use, such material, how it's wine, how it's designed, and the purpose of, of every single, um, detail has a meaning. So it's, uh, quite interesting and pretty often what is, uh, what is fun 
Uh, you said some retailers are, are selling it right away and uh, perfectly right. It happened to me a couple of times that I went to a training, you know, in shops and they don't have the clock anymore yeah. because they open it in the morning, I come in the afternoon and they are already solid. Um, <laughs> and so the guy left just because he loved the product, didn't hear anything about it. And, you know, when after six months to a year, uh, looking at, at their, uh, at their clock, uh, for example, at time fast, look at time fast and say, Oh, by the way, what is inside? And they look, they try to look through the website or, you know, for the web, what is the clock and what is inside it and who we are. Then they found out all the small details. And what we found out is that those guys are coming back to shops to see what is next and what, what else is available because they are very surprised by how much detail are embedded inside our object and the value that is behind it. It's, it's, you have the high aesthetics that is first, wow. And then every single detail has something, has some meaning. The very impressive LabPay brand. Um, Arnaud, we'll have to have you back on the show uh, to chat about it more. The website is labpay1839.ch. Um, and it is uh, so fa fantastic that with all your passion, Arno, you are uh, you are the steward of the brand. Uh, we'll have more to talk about next time. Um, this has been the Superlative Podcast interview with Mr. Uh, Arno Nicholas, CEO of La Pay. Arno, thank you so much. Thank you, and speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. <laughs> <laughs>